Thank you, Harold Carr. Always a good job. And always appreciated. Thank you all. I don't know if you realize, last Sunday um, was Reformation Sunday. You're going, what? Uh, we don't typically celebrate Lord, uh, Reformation Sunday because we just don't. Well, it's kind of not part of our tradition, but it marked the day that a guy named Martin Luther marked uh, and uh, posted 95 statements or theses on the door at uh, the church in Wittenberg, what is now Germany, and sparked the Reformation. Now, some would say, well, Baptists are not Reformed. We're, we're not. But we did come out of a season of life where there was a lot of new emphases. And one of the new emphases was on the importance and the place of God's Word. Now, you may not realize, but before the Reformation occurred, uh, you, as a typical church member, would not have read the Scriptures. And when you came to church, it would have all been in Latin, so you wouldn't have got a whole lot out of it. Some of you think, well, it's in English, and I don't get a whole lot out of it, but at least you get to understand the words, right? And things have changed over these last 500 years where we have the Word of God. But do we have an importance and a priority in our lives on the Word of God? What I want to do the next five weeks, uh, Lord willing, is to talk about what I'm calling uh, the way. Uh, the walk, excuse me, uh, the five essential spiritual disciplines. And you're going, there's only five. I, I really think if we are doing these five, uh, the rest of our spiritual walk will take care of itself in a lot of ways. Uh, some of you may hear the word discipline and you go, oh, I don't like that word. That, that sounds like work. That sounds like effort. That They may include change. And you think, maybe that's not even consistent with salvation by faith. You know, but I think at times we mix up the moment of salvation with the process of salvation. The moment of salvation is a gift. The process of salvation is a lot of work. One commentator, devotional writer, said this, Trusting Christ for salvation is akin to receiving a gift. Living by faith is doing a work. And in many ways, that's what spiritual discipline is. It's doing a work. Let me tell you, growing in the Lord takes hard work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes a commitment. It means that we're going to be changed from what we were to what he wants us to be. But let me ask you this. Isn't anything in life worth having work? When you stop to think about a band trying to be successful and do well at state competitions, a lot of early mornings, a lot of extra evenings, a lot of work, a lot of memorization, a lot of learning. How about sports teams in athletics? Are you going to be great when you just walk on the field? No, there's going to be a lot of work behind that, preparing, practicing, learning plays, learning what to do, reading the defenses, reading the offense, understand what's going on. But it's true even of our marriages. If you stop to think about it, marriage, I hope I get an amen on this, is hard work. Amen. But it's worth it, isn't it, to put in the time and the effort to make it a good thing. But ultimately, it is a choice that we have to make. How are we going to live our lives? And so I want to talk with you over these few weeks about five areas. Let me give them to you real quick. They're going to come out over five weeks, but I thought I'd lay them out front so you'd know where we're going. First is engaging or loving God's Word, having regular conversations with God through prayer, deciding how we're going to steward our lives uh, determining the priority of worship, and then sharing God's good news that we found with others. And each of these areas support this total relationship with Christ. Each of them impact us in different but significant ways as we grow 
in the Lord. So let's turn to this first area, loving God's Word, having a passion for God's Word, as I've entitled the message. How do we know how to live a God-honoring life? What's our source material for it? Is this something we just obtain? We say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, and boom, we know how to do it. Or does it take some work? Do we somehow just magically add faithfulness because we're now Christians? I'd like for us to consider the words of King David as he spoke about the message found for us in the writings called the Bible. How can we trust the Word of God? I think Psalm uh, 19.7 gives us and following gives us a very good summary of David's position and perspective on God's word. And I think it's one that if we kind of grasp and get a hold of, I think we'll have a good handle on God's word. I just want you to listen as I read the passage. They'll show up on the screens as we work through through the message. But I just want you to hear what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise The simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Father God, I pray that as we look at this message this morning, as we consider these six things that David talked about in these verses, that God, you'd show us the importance and the priority of God's word in our lives. Father, we are so grateful for men like Martin Luther and and others who came along and says, no, we need to spend time in God's word as individuals. We don't need to rely on somebody else to tell us what it says, to inform us instead of us learning ourselves. But Father, I pray that we would not push aside that importance in our lives and truly spend time with you in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So there's six things I want you to see from this passage. It's a pretty simple outline. But the first thing is this, is God's word brings life. Brings life. Look at verse, the first part of verse 7. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. What? Reviving the soul. Now, you may have a translation that has a different word there, and we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. But these six verses, the first six verses of the psalm, David talked about the creation and how we can see God in creation and in nature. And it's, it's hard to, to really walk to, uh, through, through the woods, to a, to a Grand Canyon, to anything in, in the world and go, oh, this is just a big accident. It just showed up. There's, there's an obvious design behind it. And, and a person with an open mind looks at the vastness of this and they say, there's somebody, there's some prime mover, there's some unmovable mover out there that, that did all this. And we can discover a lot about God from nature. But the picture is incomplete, David believes, and I agree with him. We need a fuller revelation than just, oh, the nature We need to hear from God. Now, how do we do that? I believe the way he does that, and David did too, was through his written word. He provided for us the word. Now, what David does in our passage today, the whole passage, is he takes six different words to describe uh, the word, to God's word, to his people. He says, I'm going to say it again. You're going to say, isn't that like saying the same thing six times in a row? Yeah, if y'all won't tell anybody, yeah, it is. We need to catch this. We need to grasp the importance of God's word, his, his law. And the first way he describes it is the law of the Lord. That's his first description. A law is something that is written. It's an absolute, and it's not going to change typically. It's a standard for us that we can then receive. But God's law is given not to, stuff, to snuff out life. Rather, it is given to give us renewal. And you're going, how so? Consider the brief 
history of humanity after creation. Think back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve, when it all started. In the beginning, the scriptures tell us what? God created man and woman to live how? In perfect harmony with him. He designed us to live in a, in a state that, let me just be honest, we don't understand in our day because we live with the flaw of sin and the struggle of sin. But he created us in such a way that we would have a perfection with him. Instead, what did humans do? And we inherited, to the, inherited the, the decision. They chose the pathway of sin. They pa- chose the pathway of rebellion. And that choice brought upon all of humanity a curse, a curse, a curse of sin. But it also fell on the created order. It's hard for us to imagine, but I surely believe that the creation itself groans, as the scriptures tell us, under the weight of our sin. That the world itself was somehow affected by that decision. And their choice brought a curse on all of us. And we have no recovery available apart from God. This is where God's law steps in. This is where his word steps in. This is where God's word steps in and does something for us as we engage with it, as we listen to it and relate to it. Now, some of your translations may say uh, it converts the soul. That's a pretty good translation of the the Hebrew word there. Uh, But I believe that the word that the, the English standard uses is probably a stronger translation because it's really what happens. If you can imagine before... Uh, Christ, before uh, God, before we sinned, excuse me, we, we were in a situation of perfection. And we don't understand that. We can't relate to that because we've never experienced it. But that's where we were. But sin damaged that relationship. And what God's word does, his law does for us as we let it transform our lives through the process of salvation is it revives us back to that state or closer to that state of perfection with him where we can walk with him and talk with him and relate to him. So what's our primary source of this understanding? What's the path forward for going? It's the word of God, the law of the Lord. He gives it to us in his revealed word. His word is what even shows us that we got a problem. We, we had this verse in the, in the prayer time, but let me come back to it again and kind of spend a moment. Paul wrote to the Roman church, and he wanted to remind them of what the law had been given for, God's word had been given for. And he says this, what shall we say then, that the law is sin? The law is not sin. He says, by no means. He said, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For while I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not told me or not said, you shall not covet. It's like, how do you know you're breaking the speed limit if you're driving down the road? You had to what? You had to read what the speed limit was or is. How do you know what you're supposed to do unless you read? And so the words of God, in a similar way, it reveals to us the reality we've broken his law. We've broken his covenant. We've broken his, his relationship with us. And so we need what? Reviving, restoration, transformation. Because in his word, we begin to see the ugliness of our sin. And the need for the confession of our sin and the transformation that is then possible. So God's word brings life. Number two, God's word brings wisdom. Look at verse, the middle part of verse seven. The testimony of the Lord is sure. 
Making wise the simple. A second aspect we need to see is his testimony. What's his testimony? Again, he's using poetic language to describe the word of God. So he uses the law of the Lord. Now he says what? The testimony of the Lord. It's again the same thing. What he's talking about is God's written word given to those who would receive his word. You know, many hear the word of God, but many also reject it. Some hear the word, though, and receive it as the truth it is. And what he's telling us here, my friends, is this. God's word is reliable. God's word is certain. And when it speaks, it's what? Perfect. It doesn't make a mistake. It's sure. When the word of God speaks on something, listen, it is completely reliable. It is completely trustworthy. When God's word speaks in an area, you know, and we can be assured that it is correct. It is right. While we may not fully understand what it says... There once there will come a time when we'll finally grasp its meaning and then we'll understand, oh, it was right. Have you ever read a picture, a passage of scripture and you go, I don't think that's right. I don't understand that. Let me tell you something. The fault doesn't lie with the word. The fault lies with us because we don't understand it yet. We don't grasp it yet. But his word produces a sure effect in our lives because it begins to infiltrate our lives and get into every nook and cranny of our lives and begins to transform who we are and to change us not from what we were to what he wants us to be. You know, often we read scripture and we're looking for information. I think we got the wrong approach, friends. We need to be reading God's word for transformation. Where is he speaking into our lives? Where is he speaking into our hearts? Where is he speaking into our minds and our existence? He wants to transform us. Notice what happens when we receive the sure testimony, the testimony of the Lord. We discover what? Wisdom makes wise the, the simple. Now, I want you to know, I, I find real comfort in that, fact, that phrase, don't you? I, I, I'm not that bright. If I had to rely on my wisdom, man, I'm in trouble. But if I can rely on God's wisdom and his word revealed to us, he can change my life. He can change your life in such a way that's amazing. He can transform us. He can give us a new direction. Please grasp this wisdom is not a result of education. I think sometimes we think, oh, you've got to be educated. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But it's not about education. It's about exposure to God's Word. He's not saying go get a Ph.D. so you can have a relationship and not be simple. He says, no, the God's word is sure. It will make a simple person wise. It's not about the number of letters or numbers after your name or the degrees on your wall. It's about the relationship with God. The psalmist said this in Psalm 119. He says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. God's word is established. It's true. And we can rely on his word to bring wisdom in our lives. You know, sometimes people who lack formal education think, oh, well, I can't do anything. But I want you to know, and I, I think you can share a testimony to this. There are people who have no formal education who have way more wisdom in the Lord than some who do. They have that connection with Christ, they, that relationship with Christ, because they have been with the Lord in the Word. They have had this connection with the Lord through His Scriptures. And there's something about the man, the woman, who walks intimately with the Word of God. It's just amazing. They have a depth of understanding. And they don't let the winds of opinion drive them to and fro. Instead, they walk with this inner peace. And when they speak, they speak with calm assurance. And when they act... They act with a confidence that God's leading them. God's word brings wisdom indeed. Third, 
God's word also brings joy. Look at the first part of verse 8. The precepts of the Lord. Are you seeing the repeated references to the word now as we're going through the scripture? He's talking about the word of God, the law of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord are right. They bring rejoicing to the heart. So God's word brings joy to the heart of the one who immerses themselves in truth, in his truth. Notice the thought as we understand the precepts of the Lord, the the principles that God lays out in his word, we grasp the rightness of them. And we find joy in that process. What he's telling us is this, the principles, the truths, and the precepts in the pages of God's word are always right. Do you believe that? They're always right. And they're always right in several ways. Let me tell, tell you, they're, they're practically right. They're, they're morally right. They're universally right. In other words, he real, reveals to us a practical truth that is true whether I'm living in 2021 or in 1842. The truth is the truth. It doesn't change because the culture changes around us. He also reveals to us a moral truth in his word. That is also correct, no matter what time or space we live in. It's always right. Let me give you a simple example. The Word tells us, do not murder. Aren't you glad we haven't started adjusting that one in our culture yet? Or have we already in some ways? God's Word is still true. How about universally true? Well, that's only true in some circumstances. No, God's word speaks on an issue. It is right whether I'm with you in church or whether I'm with my family at home or whether I'm at the job or I'm out somewhere having a good time with my friends. His truth is the truth. One commentator said this, These truths are given to make straight, smooth, right, upright, opposed to crookedness in the mind or conduct, showing what the man, the person, should be both within and without. But get this. God's word doesn't merely bring some sterile information. It brings a deep lasting joy, a deep relationship to those who come and receive it. See, a person who doesn't have these advanced degrees can still have a vast number of years in God's word. If we had to wait until we were older to finally experience the joy, what a somber experience we'd have in life, wouldn't it? Well, I hope I'm old enough someday to enjoy the joy of the Lord. Oh, I'm glad it's not like that, aren't you? that we can experience him right where we are, right where we live, right now. Instead, he brings joy to all who dive into his word, letting it be implanted in their souls. I'm sure that you recall the parable of the seeds being planted in the various soils. You know the story about the seed and the rocky and the thorns and all that kind of stuff. Well, when Jesus got down to the end of it, he said this when he was trying to explain it to his guys who were still struggling with, why are we talking about farming? He said this, As for what has been sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. Here's what I want you to grasp from this, is as we move into this relationship with God and his word or through his word and move from it being information to being transformation, here's what begins to happen in our lives. We see his joy released. We see his presence in our life moving and and, and growing. I got to tell you, I can't imagine anything more joyful for a plant than to grow and produce what it's supposed to produce. You know, the saddest thing in my garden this year was my rose bush. It started out really good and got three or four buds on it. 
put out a few flowers. And then the rest of the season, it was just this old, ugly, nasty, thorny stick. It was the saddest thing in my yard. Why? Because a rose bush is supposed to what? Produce roses. A Christian is supposed to produce spiritual fruit. And when we do that, my friends, oh, life is good. And life is enjoyable instead of a burden. Doesn't mean there won't be trials along the way, but we find the joy of life. Number four, God's word brings vision. Look at the second part of verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Again, he's referencing the scriptures. He's talking about God's words to us. The commandment of the Lord is what? Pure. Enlightening the eyes. He, he makes a statement about God's commandment. You're thinking, oh, you're talking about the Ten Commandments. Yes, and more. Remember, he's using poetic language, trying to help us understand God's word and the effect on our lives as we receive it. And so just as we receive the offer of Christ's salvation to redeem us, we also then make a choice that says, I want to rede- receive his word on a regular basis so I can experience it. The word given to us comes from none other than who? God himself. You know, it's hard for me to imagine not having one of these for my own use. Can you? 500 years ago, we as Christians didn't have that. It just wasn't common. If you want to know about God, you had to come to church and hope the priest would tell you something good. They would have stained glass windows with different pictures in it so you could look at them and go, that's the one about the apple that we weren't supposed to eat. Yeah. That's how cathedrals in Europe are decorated because of that reason. But you might say, but it's from God? It is. You say, but but wait, I know that the different people wrote that. How did that work? How does that happen? You might say, well, didn't they write the words in the pages? Can I tell you something? They absolutely did. But how were they inspired? I'm going to use a big word. You ready? Supernaturally. God's word came to these writers And he used their personalities and he filtered it through their thoughts and their minds to bring these words to pages. You're saying, oh, the copies have been corrupted over the years. I can tell you, they haven't. There are some, but there's enough testimony that has the same words. You know, they found scrolls at Qumran in the 1940s of a couple of the Old Testament prophets that had been laying there for almost 2,000 years. And they pulled them out archaeologically and did all the stuff and they began to read them. And it was the same words that you have in your Bible today. God not only wrote his word, he preserves it for us to have and read. And you look at the persons who wrote it, you think Mark. Mark, he was kind of a simple guy, wasn't he? He did. If you want to study Greek, they're going to send you to the book of Mark to learn. Did you know that? Because it's like reading third grade Greek, if there is such a thing. But then you turn over to Luke, and guess what you get? The writings of a doctor. The personalities came through, but they were inspired by God's presence himself. He recorded every word in the Bible. He inspired every word in the Bible. He directed his people to write what he needed them to write. He didn't take the personality out, but he used it. And because of all of that, we can trust his word. The commandment of the Lord is pure, and it does what? Enlightens our eyes. It brings us a vision that we can't have otherwise changing us from what we were to what he wants us to be. So his word always leads us to purity. It always does. And I want to tell you something. If you're basing your situation and your choice in life on a scripture and it's taking you down a road of non-purity or not pure, 
you can be sure that you've misunderstood the scripture because that's not how God works and his word works. Over in the second letter, letter by Peter, he talked about those who would twist the word of God. And interestingly, it's a situation where Peter references the writings of Paul. So we've got a place in the New Testament where one writer is referencing the other. And he says this, there are some things in them, and the them is implied to be the writings of Paul. If you read the context, you'll pick that up, that are hard to understand. He says, some of the things Paul writes, man, they're hard to understand. Amen. Some of his stuff is hard to understand at times. But which the ignorant and unstable then twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. And so what we need to understand is God's word properly understood and received brings us enlightenment. It brings us truth. And his word brings cheer and comfort and knowledge and confidence that we can now do the right thing and go down the right road and begin to live the right life. And it brings us a vision that we can't have on our own. God's word is that powerful that we need to grasp that. Number five, it brings to us stability. Look at the first part of verse nine. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now some of you look at that and go, that's not the word of God. Oh, it is. In David's poetry, it is. He describes God's word as fear. You may find that to be kind of an unusual way to describe the word. It's kind of, it's because it's a very foreign image to us. We look at that and go, fear. I know what fear is. It's like when I get scared. It is. But it's a different meaning than the word scared. We hear the word fear, we think afraid, terrified. David uses the words in a sense of awe and reverence. God's word is an awe and a reverence to us. So the awe of the Lord, the awe of God's word should bring about something great in our lives. And it does. So he's telling us the word of God carries a sense of awe and reverence as it's a supernatural product of God in this world. Unfortunately, some of us treat his word like a good book. It's just a good book, isn't it? It's just a history book. Some of you might say, well, that's what you probably think. No, I don't think it's a history book. It's just got a lot of historical stories in it about God and his people and the way he works. He designed it that way on purpose so we could relate to him. You know, it's amazing when you start reading the stories in the Old Testament and you go, they had the same problems we did. They had the same issues we do. My husband took me to Egypt and he, he denied that I was his wife like Moses, Abram did. You know that story? Crazy things in the scriptures. When David referred to the fear of the Lord, he's indicating us this wonder and amazement that he failed for God's word and written word. Now, what's he talking about? You're going, well, David never read the New Testament. No, he didn't. David never read the minor prophets. No, he didn't. Oh, he was part of writing the Psalms, but he didn't really see the Proverbs. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the first five books of God's word, specifically maybe some of the ancient accounts of the people as they possessed the promised land like, like Joshua and those. But he held those writings in the proper awe and majesty of God himself. And as he was one who revealed these words and he, it was revealed to him and he wrote them down, he shares with them. And, and what happens to those who are committed themselves to reading and, and absorbing God's word is this, they gain a stability and endurance from God. It's not something that comes and goes, but it endures. It's based on the character of God. It's based on his word in our lives. And as we read and study and meditate on God's word, what we discover is we are actually meeting with 
God himself. Have you ever thought about your quiet time with God when you sit down and read a paragraph or a chapter or a few verses? You're not reading them for information. You're reading them to hear from God. See, most of us have never audibly heard the voice of God. Probably scare us to death. Then we'd really understand fear, wouldn't we? But he does speak to us through his word. He speaks to us through his scriptures. And he reveals his presence to us. Psalm 119, 130 and 131 say this, The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. So I open my mouth and pant. That's a powerful visual image, isn't it? That we pant for God's word. I dare say many of us struggle with that concept because we really don't, do we? We go, oh, yeah, I ought to look at the scripture. Well, I'm going to read it Sunday at church. I better read my Sunday school lesson to be ready so I know what I'm talking about when I sit down with him. He's not talking about any of that stuff. He's talking about getting in God's presence and hearing from God through his word because I long for your commandments. God's word brings light and understanding to us. Last thing, number six. God's word then brings truth. This last part of his section here is is a little bit different, but he's still talking about God's word. Look at the verse, the last part of verse nine. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules, you could also translate that as his decrees, his word. He gives us a summary of God's word as simply this. It's true and righteous. It's good. And he describes the word of God as the rules, decrees, the judgments of God. And what he does is give us a clear summary of the place that God's word has in our life. And you're going, wait a second. David was writing a thousand years before Messiah Jesus would ever show up on the scene. He lived long before redemption was made real through the shed blood of Christ. But he rightly understood the importance, the power, the life transformation that was available to those who would hold God's word with the proper respect and love. See, the word of God serves as the basis for life. It's supposed to. It gives us life. It gives us wisdom. It gives us joy. It gives us vision. It gives us stability. And it gives us the truth that we need in life. And though David lived centuries before Paul, I suspect if he had had the opportunity to read Paul's letter to Timothy, He would have agreed wholeheartedly when Timothy heard these words from his mentor, Paul. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man, the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word stands as our standard for how to live how to serve, how to interact. Indeed, every single aspect of our lives. See, we sometimes think that, well, I have my church life and I have my personal life. And for you and me as children of God, we're supposed to have a godly life that's affected by God's word in every area we live. And not give lip service to God's word in our lives, but set aside time, effort to read it, to know it, to learn it, to absorb it into our lives. Because as a follower of Jesus, this is just one of those essential spiritual disciplines. Let me ask you this this morning. Do you know the God of the Bible? Have you met him? 
Have you interacted with him? Have you walked with him? Are you spending time with him? If you're not, maybe you need to meet him today. We want to give you that opportunity. But I suspect for most of us, the challenge is not to trust Christ with salvation. But make a decision that says this, I'm going to spend time in God's word. Have you ever stopped to look at your day and the amount of time you use to watch television, to take an extra nap, if only, to do things that in the end really have no value eternally? Would you make a commitment this week that says, I'm going to set aside five minutes, five minutes to start reading God's word every day? Every day. Sociologists tell us that if you'll do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. So if you'll take a commitment that says, okay, for the next three weeks, I'm going to spend time in God's Word. I'm going to read. We'll say, what do I do? I don't know how to read God's Word. I've never actually done it. Get a translation you can understand. If you don't, if you're not fluent in King James English, get you one that you can read. They're all on the internet now. You can get them online. Did you know that? I mean, you can get them on your phone. They got apps for that now. All right? And say, I want to read something. I'm going to make a suggestion to you. You say, I don't know where to start. Here's my suggestion. Start with the Gospel of John. Every modern translation has got paragraphs, the way they've broken it down. You know, the King James is just verse after verse after verse. You didn't know really where the thoughts. The nice thing about the modern translations, there's a place to stop. Take that book, the book of John, and read a paragraph, a section, every day. And pick up tomorrow with the next one. You go, it's kind of like reading a novel. Yeah, kind of. But he'll speak to you. And if you'll go into that moment with this, this, this idea, I'm not looking for information. God, I want you to speak to me so that my life can be changed with your word. His word is breathed out. It's profitable. It comes, brings reproof to our lives. You know what that is. Knocking you around and saying, what in the world are you doing? For correction. For training, not in just training, but in righteousness, so we can do the good works that he's called us to. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you've given us this amazing collection of books that you inspired various men in various times and various situations to write down. And then, God, you preserved it for centuries for us, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that we would have a commitment to you that flows over into your word. God, we don't want to set the word up as a God because it's not, but it is you speaking to us. I pray, God, that we would take that challenge serious to spend time in your word, to let you speak to us so we can hear from you. What an honor we have to even have printed scriptures, digital copies audio books that we can listen to, so many ways that we can be in your word. And God, we so often neglect it. God, we want to be a part of you. We want to walk with you. We want our lives to honor you. God, teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, 